0: Here we are. We're live. Hey, everybody. Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. See, I've already got my radio voice on, Ben. Impressive. Isn't that cool? <laughs> so uh, we're going to give everybody a chance to kind of log on here. Uh, the hundreds of thousands of people that are going to be here to, to witness Ben uh, dig himself into a giant hole this evening. Oh, it's and not, not going to happen. I have skills.
1: I have skills. I've
0: um, so uh, we'll take care of a little bit of business here at the top here uh, this week on Studio HFL. Of course, tonight, this is a live with interview with Ben Wright, uh, Second Trumpet with the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Uh, later this week is my second installment of the radio version of this program. And I chose Doc Severinsen, well, one of the several interviews I've had with Doc and I've been able to pair that with uh, quite a few tunes from The Tonight Show Band and some of his early albums. That's going to be Thursday night on WICR 88.7 FM, The Diamond. And that is 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, then Saturday is the release of my interview with Matthias Hoofs, which is spectacular. What, a, what an amazing trumpet player. Well, what an amazing musician. Um, the next live with interview is going to be with uh that's march 23rd with ronald avis and aaron rom and that's uh i've never talked to all three of them at the same time but they're all fantastic it'll be a great interview with them and then the last live interview of the month is march 28th and that's a sunday afternoon at 3 p.m est with matilda lloyd and if you don't know anything about matilda's solo career uh, it's skyrocketing. She's a spectacular uh, musician. So uh, one of the cool things here about uh, Studio HFL is we're getting some really great sponsorship. And of course, you'll notice up here in the corner, find the right one right here, Chop Saver uh, is generously sponsoring Studio HFL's Live With interview series. And Dan Gosling and I have been friends for, oh my gosh, uh, let's see, ninety since 1993. He was actually one of my teachers at Butler. Ben, he was. Yeah, okay. And Dan's a great guy. So, I'm going to launch into my my official radio voice here, so I can read this this advertisement for ChopSaber. ChopSaber, the natural, organic, herbal lip care product created by professional trumpet player Dan Gosling, created especially for the unique lip care needs of wind and brass musicians. Nothing soothes, heals, and protects sore, tired, chapped lips like ChopSaber. No tingle, not greasy, just makes your chops feel normal again, especially after a hard day of playing. Chop Saver is used and endorsed by some of the greatest names in the business, including Wayne Bergeron, Tom Houghton, Michael Sachs, Sir James Galway, Jay Friedman, and many more. Ben, do you use Chop Saver? Uh, sure. Uh, we'll, we'll fix that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chop Saver is even recommended by dermatologists. For their patients with chronic lip problems. So, you know, it's safe and effective, and it's a product anyone can use, musician or not. And for our studio HFL listeners, um, use the coupon code HFL when you order at chopsaver.com to receive 20% off your next order. Hang on, I've got a slide to put up for that one. Oh, yeah. So, let's see, is that the one I want? Here we are. So, 20% 20% off your next order at chopsaver.com. Use the coupon code HFL. And uh, I don't know if there's a, a deadline on that since this interview is going to live on in perpetuity. But uh, uh, I would say take advantage of that. Uh, take advantage of that offer right away. So, again, Dan Gosling, ChopSaber. thank you so much for your support of this podcast and, uh, and for your friendship and support. Dan is one of my favorite go-to entrepreneurs. He is so savvy in this business. And, uh, and I, like, I like not just working with him, but uh, I'm gonna show one other thing in here. This uh, available today. Hey, I did a little photo shoot today. Isn't that ridiculous that that's my, somebody actually bought a shirt face.
1: That's a good look for you.
0: All right, thank you. Mm, <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see, we've got uh, that the distressed be distressed logo. Uh, that that look right there, that uh, pointing at the design, I picked that up from Rex Richardson. Oh, that I'll have to credit him for that. Uh, this is my serious distant focus look.
1: I like. It looks like a, like a Sears catalog pose.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I may have missed my calling. would uh, yeah. be a
1: model, definitely.
0: I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but they'll cut out the the head and the, the hands, right? It'll that's just be
1: <laughs> I like I like that shirt. I want one of
0: those. The long sleeve. That's what I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah, we'll talk. We'll yeah, talk. Good. Good. Uh, the, and this is the I'm not sure where I am look. <laughs> I, I could wear that all the time. Uh, so my wife actually came up with this design. We will not be silenced. I, yep. she, she's a screen printer, designer and screen printer. So she came up with that. And I was like, heck yeah, make a shirt out of that. So uh, that's just a little funny montage there. So all of that is available at... Uh, studio hfl.com slash merch m-e-r-c-h and uh gee ben we're out of time i you know i thought we were gonna hey, have enough time great. to actually talk to you great talk. yeah I, I feel enlightened moved um that's how people usually feel when they don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah. so uh yeah so it it might seem like we're old friends and uh you know i do feel like i make friends pretty quickly uh, so for those watching, Ben and I actually just met. Well, we met by phone a couple of weeks ago to, yep. to plan plan this. But then yep. just, what, 20 minutes or so ago, we actually looked uh, face-to-face and greeted each other. So uh, I'm thrilled to have you here. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk t- uh, to really great musicians. And, uh, you know, this is... I was just looking at... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, see, if, if it were somebody else, I said, you know, it's always great talking to really great musicians, but tonight we have you. Yes, so so, uh, but not, uh, none of them were available. So but I'm not, I'm cool I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, the reason that you were on my radar for an interview is a mutual friend of ours, uh, Melissa Williams, tuba player here in Indianapolis. And she I said, believe, you know. I believe my former babysitter. You have to double check with her on that. Oh, my gosh. I didn't no. know that. Yeah. I hope she's watching. If Melissa, if you're watching, uh, write something in the comments.
1: She's definitely and she's definitely good friends with my parents. So, longtime colleague of my dad. Sorry, I interrupt. Go ahead.
0: No, no. Well, then, and that so that brings that around. The tie-in, of course, is you are from right here in the Midwest. You're from Indiana.
1: Evansville, Indiana.
0: Evansville, Indiana, which if it were any further south would be in Kentucky.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, it, uh, it's in the armpit of uh, Indiana. <sighs> I've never heard it
0: referred to that way. Well, it's great.
1: It's right down there near. Wait, I have to. There's Illinois and Kentucky. It's weird. It's like my images flips on backwards.
0: Sorry. It's it's better than being in another uh, region of a body, right? I mean, an armpit could be a a vast improvement. So, uh, so obviously, well, I won't say obviously um, because you mentioned interlock, and I was going to say you went to high school. down in Evansville, but oh, no, I, was, uh, I was
1: in, I was in Evansville until I finished my junior year. I went to Interlochen for the summer and I, I, I literally couldn't imagine going home, which had nothing to do with my parents. I just, it was the first time I'd been around serious musicians my age. So I stayed, I stayed for my last year of high school and that actually, I played that summer with Jim Markey in the worldview symphony orchestra.
0: Oh, that's right. He mentioned that too. And he said, uh, was he, he was pointed right at the back of your head. I think he told me,
1: well, that's what he does now. So he just, that's got what, so I think we said, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, I'm going to interview him at some point. Seems like a super nice guy, oh, uh, okay. even though he plays trombone. Right. Yes. So, uh, so you grew up here in Indiana and I'm curious, you know, at what point did, did you think, Hmm, I'm pretty good. I think I want to take this seriously was there one or more experiences that that kind of led you down that path? Well, it's
1: a little I mean. My dad is an excellent musician uh, clarinetist. My uncle is an excellent trumpet player, Steve Wright, uh, up in Minneapolis. My grandparents were musicians, my great grandparents were musicians, my great great grandparents were musicians. It's kind of in my family, so I wasn't ever pushed that way. I mean, started playing trumpet when I was 10. I think the first time I I performed, the first time I could kind of play the trumpet and perform for people and like got that praise and that feedback, it was like a drug. Uh, And then, then, you know, I was studying, my first teacher was Jim Burson, who was just a wonderful musician, the nicest man. You ever, I think he used to charge me $15 and a loaf of bread for a lesson. My mom got hip to the fact that he he liked fresh bread, so she she's not a baker, but she, she cooks some meat, whole wheat bread. Anyway, so yeah, I studied with him for a while. Then when I was fifteen, it was it was around thirteen or fourteen when I know I know I wanted to play in an orchestra. I just I heard some recordings. Um, you know, I would go to hear the Philharmonic, and um, you know, I wasn't really dialed in to first of all how good that orchestra was then, but um, just. The idea of a career as, a, as an orchestra musician, I didn't really know, was there until I stayed with Stan Curtis, uh, who's at uh, UC Fort Collins now. And I still remember where I was sitting in his studio the first time he played me. the. Uh, he said, I got this new recording of uh, of New York Philharmonic with uh, uh, Zubin Mehta playing Mahler 5. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he puts it on. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's, that's what I want to do. So, yeah, that was kind of it for me at that point
0: um it, it's funny that Mahler. uh you know it, for me it was uh al hurt it, it's funny you know what that first experience is where you're kind of like "Ooh, that's what i want to do right, right. right. yeah uh um, yeah, no, so I, it was phil uh, Smith's Ma- plan right was that sorry i phil was smith, saying you yeah. did say that was phil smith right yeah
1: oh yeah awesome awesome recording
0: I'm gonna skip ahead for just a second. You know, I had this discussion with somebody recently. You know, as Trumpet players, we work on all these excerpts, right? Opening to mm-hmm. Mahler one or Mahler Five, uh, opening to Pines, uh, Piccolo, you know, Goldenberg, Goldenberg Schmiel. Um but if you look at the percentage of those that actually get to play that repertoire, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so my my thought was why do we work on all that? Why shouldn't we be working on all the uh all the uh, John Williams and Jim Stevenson, you know, all this other stuff that most of the orchestras are playing these days, you know. And, but I understand that it came around to the reason we do that because that puts everybody on a level playing field for an audition, right? You have to show your metal uh, yeah, through I mean, those pieces.
1: You know, it's interesting. Like um, it seems like to me, there's two different kinds of audition lists. There's a reasonable audition list that covers all the basis of what you need to hear. And then there's like, like a, this audition list here, which was, this is my, this is the book that I made for the principal trumpet audition for, for the BSO back in 2006. And these are all complete, these are all complete pieces. There's not no just excerpt. excerpts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just a little sampling, B minor mass, Catata, uh, Christmas oratorio concerto, orchestra, Bartok, you know, Beethoven symphony, number eight, uh, chamber concerto, like the whole thing, like, and Peter Chapman, my very, very good friend and uh, former colleague in the BSO who's now, um, doing what we should all do and living in Southern California. Um, he made the list, and he just made it like that to scare people off, which is, I think, a little bit of an old-school thing. But right. I get so tired of seeing these lists that have, like, you know, first trumpet to helden Laban, Alpine Symphony. Uh, like, all this stuff is all redundant. It's like, can we hear you play a high C and make it sound easy? Okay, fine. Check, right? Like, you know, and then move on. But, um, yeah, I mean, auditions are...
0: Uh, Auditions are—I don't know—I don't know what to say about auditions.
1: Oh, I do. Talk to Mark, talk to Mark Gould about auditions.
0: <laughs> um, I've done my fair share, and and with the modicum of success. But uh, so let, let's let's get back to you. Enough about me. Um, what do you think well, about I, it me? Is a, it is it is an interview
1: with me, so all I, I want <laughs> to talk about myself. Yeah.
0: So, um, oh man, i, I want to skip all over, but uh, let's let's go back and try to follow in order this. So you go to Interlochen. And mm-hmm. you have a great experience there mm-hmm. uh, had you started auditioning um, or considered auditioning yet for professional groups yeah no
1: no I mean I, I auditioned for BUTI, Boston University Tangled Institute for Roger Lozen, uh when I was a senior in high school because he, he was still he was still doing the uh, tours mm-hmm.
0: uh, the-
1: great picture yeah. yeah yeah that was that was in 1996. you're the one uh, on the left right? <laughs> one of my favorite, one of my favorite, favorite uh, teachers, just so great. He said to me when I was a senior in high school, he said, you know, you should, you should audition for the Fellowship Orchestra. I was like, oh, what's that? You know, and so I got to Cleveland and I think Mike probably said, Mike Sachs probably said, yeah, don't, don't, you're not ready for that. Don't do that. So I didn't audition, uh, I, I didn't go to Tangled until I was a junior anyway but no no I wasn't I wasn't taking professional auditions um really until after I left Cleveland Mike very very uh, I think wisely discouraged me from taking professional auditions when I was in undergrad because it just wasn't I wasn't physically efficient enough I, I had I could play I could play almost anything for a short period of time and make it sound really good but I just wasn't physically efficient I didn't learn how to do all that stuff until after
0: I left school I would take an audition unsuccessfully. I'd come back, and my wife would be like, "Oh, you know the stress that it puts her through." And I said, "Well, you know, I, I lost, right. you know, but I didn't advance or anything. But I, I improved something. I learned something." But it, it got to the point to where she's like, "Are you just taking another audition just so you can, you know, improve something else?" And I'm like, "No, you know, the the intent is always to play well and and advance and you know win. Yeah. But you do improve something, right? I mean, all these auditions that that you don't." advance you don't win You you still did you feel that in the, the audition process that you were always moving ahead
1: um no i felt i often felt like i was crash landing an airplane wow i what i did learn between my first full-time orchestra audition, which Chris Karajev won in, in Cincinnati, good good, mm-hmm. good friend of mine in school. I, I, we, I we really kept well in touch, but great guy. Uh, he's the assistant um, uh, in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I went from Juilliard. I was in grad school at Juilliard. I, I flew to Cincinnati. I stayed with a friend, which was a mistake. Don't ever stay with a friend. Stay in a hotel, spend the money. So I learned that. Um, not that this what, this guy was perfectly nice; I just wasn't comfortable. Whatever. Sure. I played three excerpts, and right before I played the first first excerpt, I was like, "Oh bleep! Like, what am I doing here?" You know. Um, and I played three excerpts and played poorly, and they said thank you, and that was it. And um, sorry, my dog is she's asleep and chasing squirrels or something. <laughs> um. Uh, and so yeah so I learned that after my first audition and then I mean I was really lucky my second audition which was for the Kennedy Center um, I just went in and nailed it I like mm-hmm. I I've I've never had a whole audition that I played first of all I never had a perfect audition I never had a perfect round mm mm-hmm. just the semifinals that I played at the Kennedy Center I played out of my mind like I just played better than I I don't know there's something about like the preparation that just drove me crazy because i was always just trying to figure out what what have i not done what have i not practiced enough you know and you know my girlfriend at the time and my wife uh now um i mean it just it was like a pressure cooker like and then i get to the audition i was just like oh thank god i can just play now you know, so yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's certain, I mean, one, so when I, when I, so then I'll tell you another thing I learned in an audition, which was when I, I auditioned for, so when I got the County center, I took a bunch of auditions. Uh, and generally I did well in them. Um, I would advance. Um, but the first one, the first really big one that I advanced in was, was Chicago. No, not, no, that's not true. I, I, whatever. I advanced in Minnesota,
0: which is a great orchestra and whatever. Um, and with Chicago, you're not talking civic, you're talking the CSO, right?
1: Right, right. So I was in the, I was in the Kennedy Center. So I had a job and, and it was fourth trumpet in Chicago Symphony. And um, in order to take the audition, I had to actually lie to my personnel manager, I had to call in sick because they wouldn't let me off. Mm-hmm. So I called in sick, I went to Chicago, I took the 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 prelim audition. Um, I advanced, which was just I was over the moon. But then of course, it got back to the personnel manager via the bass trombone player who in the Kennedy center who didn't like me. that I'd taken this audition and I had to, you know, I had to fall on the sword and, you know, it ended up being okay. Cause he was a nice guy. He was actually really cool about it. Um, a, a former trumpet player. And, um, but then I had to wait five months for the next round.
0: And that whole time,
1: oh. I'm just, like, going through the whole I'm not worthy, like, you know, I can't believe I advanced, blah, blah, blah. And we were in the middle of, like, a Mozart opera cycle, which is, like, right. the war- second trumpet on a Mozart opera is the worst freaking thing to play for your chops ever. And... Um, but I got to Chicago, and i I've been practicing way too much. And, again, like, I felt like I was crash landing an airplane, and my efficiency, I just didn't have it yet. Um, and... I played the reversal that afternoon with the accompanist who was a very nice lady and not a good pianist she could follow me and i sounded like crap and i went out that night and learned my second lesson about auditions which is that the night before audition i have to drink at least two glasses of wine i needed to just like chill, chill. i needed to feel the world was okay if i didn't win this audition and i did it the same way every every other audition I ever ever won or took um and you know uh it's not I'm not uh, not endorsing drinking uh, but it's just just it was important for me to say hey you know what my life is really great you know I've got this great at the time girlfriend um you know I got friends you know I got things going going on it's like it's not that important it's it's right. important and that's the problem with these jobs is that you know, it's like winning the lottery
0: so it's hard not to think of it that way. Here's a question I've not asked anybody yet, and I, I can't believe I haven't done this. But now your preparation for a weekly cycle with the BSO, does it look anything like, or even you know, looking ahead at a season, does it look anything, does it resemble anything like prepping for an audition?
1: Well, I mean, it, it depends on what part of my time. I mean, I've been here for uh, almost 19 years. I was in Chicago for two years before that. So, um, you know, it's, um, oh, no, not, wait, what, what is the year? 21 to, yeah, <laughs> 19, almost 19, yeah. Wow. So, but both in Chicago and in Boston, I started in the summer season. And that's eight weeks, three shows a week, different programs, two rehearsals per program. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was overwhelming. Um, and... But eventually, like maybe after five to ten years, you 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 are used to it, like, and you you know the repertoire, and you look ahead and you see, okay, there's a new piece by Michael Gandolfi. Let me t- let me just take a look at that, you know, or if it's Thomas Ades, you know, you have to take a look because that's really hard stuff. Um, and then you you know, it also depends on how good
0: you are at reading.
1: I'm a terrible. I, 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 I'm a terrible sight reader. So Please I tell me watch.
0: you're already tenured, right? We don't want anybody in the BSO hearing this and being like, wait Dude, a second.
1: I've been, I've been tenured. <laughs> the, my, the, uh, I moved to Second Trumpet in 2011, and I got tenured that year. So, now I, I'm, I'm I, yeah.
0: I, yeah. Yeah. Uh I am fortunate. I have four small regional groups that I play with here in Indiana, and, and one down in Kentucky. And I'm principal with each of those groups. It's I, I like the pressure of that job, but I think the hardest job is the second trumpet. And uh-huh. respect, you, much respect goes lots. to. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. And, and, you know, of course, I just released uh, uh, Rolf's interview uh, last week. And what a great interview. I forgot just how funny, how droll he can oh, be. Yeah, yeah. It, it was terrific. And uh, so there's a plug for Tom Rolf's interview. But no, I've known this for years and years. The quality, not just playing, but the quality of personality of that person sitting next to you is so important. And of course, Rolf, he spoke about uh, the support that he's got with the section in Mm -hmm. Boston. But um, that's something I find really difficult. If I ever have to go and sit and play second somewhere, I'm like, Mm -hmm. kill me now. (laughs) This, This is a hard job. Yeah. And you what, know, because I'm what, not in control. I have to follow somebody yeah. else.
1: Yeah. Well, so, you know, if you have to follow somebody like Tom Rolfs, who's like a freak and can play anything mm-hmm. and is incredibly consistent, like, I mean, I, I'll look at him in concerts and go, how do we do that? <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? Right? I was like, how do we release that note together? There's no idea. Like, you know, the conductor go like this, and then – the fricking woodwinds will hold it for like another beat or two beats. I love my woodwind colleagues, but they, <laughs> they just keep holding. So it's like, you know, like, Dum. you know, it's like, okay. Now, now it's just like the radar, you know, in, and, in, and, it's just so easy with Tom. It's just like, you know, i played with him since 2002. He was uh, assistant principal then when I was fourth. And, and then uh, we had a few years when he moved up to principal and his old associate principal job was open. I was playing acting associate. And then I moved into the second chair. So it was just like, you know, we were back, you know, back playing together. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, second playing really. And then when I move up and play principal occasionally, you know, It takes me, especially if it's in Pops, um, because that's a real jarring Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's not my strength. Um, But it's good. I like the challenge of it. And then I, I, you know, I do like when I'm playing principal, I do like the the ideas that I can take what I'm listening and just know that's where I'm going to go. And understandably, when you're playing principal, if something happens and you get either distracted or somebody does something weird or the conductor something weird you got to come in where you think it's right and then the second player just comes in you know we just you know so um i mean i definitely hit a wall with my playing 2014, 2014 end of 2014 i finished uh, our our pops run and i i i looked at miriam when i got home and i was like my wife i was like I- I don't think I can keep going like this. Like, I wow. Can't what was not... it? You know, I think it was, it was a, it was, it was a lot of stuff. I mean, I think a lot of, for me was probably being a little too sensitive to whatever was going on around me. And, um, just coming in hell, hell or high water in the right place always. And the pitch was always right, no matter what I was getting. Um, you know, which as I said, is was always at a very high level, but you know, like it wasn't breathing, right. You know, like I never really learned anything about breathing. Like I knew nothing about Jacobs until about four years ago. Hmm. And I, I remember it, like it was, it was in 2015. I, I went to Rolf's with the breath, a breath builder, you know, the tube the, mm-hmm. with the ping pong ball. And I said, how do you use this thing? Nobody ever showed me how to use one of these things. Like, and it's not, I had great teachers. There's nothing wrong with them. We just worked on other stuff. Mm-hmm. He said, Well, so you, you want to keep the ball at the top through your inhale or whatever, he said, you know, something like, he was like, What's wrong with you? Why don't you, you know, because we're good friends, you know. <laughs> and, and I did it. And on the inhale, uh, somehow I sucked my stomach in on the inhale instead of like just, you know, Mm -hmm. fanning the lungs out like I'm you know he's like, How did you do that? I was like, Do what? What did I do? He said that was exactly backwards. I was like, I have no idea. So it was like it kind of started me down like a like a journey. Mm (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I it was right when we switched to Yamaha and I'd been playing a a Mountain Vernon. Um and um so I I switched mouthpieces, trumpets and I don't know physical fundamental styles like all at once, and you know, I remember that summer we were playing a tour Mahler Six, which is one of the hardest second trumpet parts ever written, and then also Don Quixote, which is a great second trumpet mm-hmm. part. Um, and we we're playing Salzburg and the proms, and all these, you know, Vienna, uh, um, you know, it's very high pressure, you know, I, and at the I kind of wish that I'd just taken some time off to figure it out, but I I didn't really figure it out until about a year ago. It it took me forever. Just, you know.
0: So what, uh, what was the, what was the catalyst? What was the trigger? I mean, that you said, I finally got it figured out. Was it just getting that process? Like, like,
1: Mm -hmm. like, I mean, for years, like, like I would hear Rolf say stuff like, oh, I'm not using my air. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. You know, and we teach these classes at Tanglewood and, he would talk to them about moving their air and I was like, you know what, can you just, can you just, you just do that with me? Cause I had no idea. Like mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. like, you know, no idea. Like there were times clearly when I was doing it right. And then other times, but I had, I just, my consistency was not what it should have been. Um, and uh, it stressed me out all the time. And I'm sitting next to like, you know, the juggernaut trumpet player of all time. Um, you know, it's like, trying to keep up with him um was difficult you know it's difficult for a really good player and and i was you know so yeah so no i i I, um i think it just came you know and actually the last piece for me was alexander technique alexander technique was huge for me so my wife had started a um she's she's now uh well she's like one semester off from being a certified teacher Uh Um, fantastic cellist but also um an alexander technique teacher um, she recommended that I go see Debbie Adams, who runs the program at, at uh, Berkeley and Boston Conservatory. And I'll never forget the first session. I you know, walked in there and I had a Shostakovich, uh, one of the the banger symphonies, uh, like a double recording session. And I said, "Can yeah. you She said, "Fine." So. She worked with me, you know, for like 15 minutes. I said, "Well, maybe I'll play." And so mm-hmm. she did a couple of things, and I started playing. And I, what I couldn't believe was how much better my lips felt because of the the stress and the tension in the rest of my body that I was alleviating. And she said, "Well, why are you sucking your stomach in all the time?" I said, "Oh, what? Well, I had a I had a back injury 10 years ago." You know, she didn't say it like that because she's like, you know, she's very gentle. Um, and I said, "Well, I had back injury." She said, "Well, so I sort of, so I have to suck in my stomach to protect my lower back." She said, "Oh, how how is your lower back now? Is it is it better?" And I said, "Yeah." She said, "So, do you think that habit is still serving you?" So that has been like you know, and Mark Gold, you know, the first thing he said to me when I studied with him, he said, "You know, you have to become your own teacher," and that's my goal for all of my students. Is to give them the tools that they need to teach themselves how to play the trumpet. So, you know, you lay out all your tools and you figure out, okay, this is what I learned from this guy or this teacher or this woman or, or whatever. Like I can still remember something I learned from Kimberly Wright, who was a horn player in the Chicago symphony. And then, uh, the San Francisco symphony. I think she's retired now. She's not old, but I think she's retired. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still remember something I learned in a master class from her in 1990 five something like that you know it's so like you just lay all that stuff out and you're like okay well is this still working for me Gould said to me as a student he says benny the back pressure for a high c is the same as a c in the staff and i was like okay cool so i went back to my practice room went back to my apartment and I'm looking at my notes going what does that mean like mm-hmm. what does that mean I never figured it out. I spent years figuring, trying to, or months trying to figure it out. And then I set it aside. And then he came and did a class here at, at New England. And, and he said the same thing. I'm like, man, I never figured that out. Last spring, I'm in a lesson with a student and I'm telling him this story about how I never figured it out. I was like, oh my God, I just figured it out. And it's just semantics. Because for me, I would say that the air pressure on lower notes needs to be higher so that when you go to higher notes, it doesn't feel so different. Mm-hmm. But I could be like, and cause so now I can do that where I feel like i play like a C in the staff with enough air pressure that when I go to a high C, right. it doesn't feel that different. But you know what I mean? Like I just had no freaking idea what it is. Yeah, meant.
0: but you know, I mean, I look at all this stuff like, if, if we were to make it through our careers without any stumbles, without any trials, tribulations, however you wanna phrase it, right? Especially if we're going to be a teacher, how effective are we going to be, right? When we have to endure, when we have to suffer all this stuff ourselves, right? All of a sudden, see, we become honestly, that much he, more empathetic with a student, right?
1: Yeah. And, and it's ironic because like um, when my kids were, so I started playing second trumpet um, when my, I won the audition for second trumpet when my kids were, I have twin boys. They were four months old, five mm-hmm. months old. So I was like half asleep for that. I mean, I just you know that was that was an interesting process. That was the audition that I prepared for the least in my life because as you get further on in the cycles and you learn how the music goes, it's just about getting in shape. So I didn't. It wasn't like I needed to learn the excerpts. I'd been playing them for years. Right. Um, It was a matter of just getting in shape, and I'm glad I was in shape because the 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 we have a finals A and then a finals B here. And so for finals A, to which I was invited because I'm already a member of the orchestra, it was a 25 minute round. We played the longest section from Mahler to Gross Opel up to the high C. And then the last page of Bartok and Sheriff Orchestra and the whole last page, you know, it was rigorous. And then, so I finished that and then went downstairs. And then I guess, uh levine hadn't been at the other rounds and so and they didn't know who was playing because it was behind a screen so they well, we want to hear uh we the maestro wants to hear this one player play Mahler four so i waited for a half an hour and then i went out and played the, the second trumpet lick from the first page of Mahler four and then i went downstairs and then i came out for like 20 minutes of uh maybe an hour and a half later i came back for 20 minutes of um section plan, and, and that was it. And I don't know what the point was of this whole thing. I just started, t- oh, just talking about myself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you go. Well, bring it, bring it back. Bring it, bring us back on point.
0: Uh, so at what point, um, <laughs> actually I, I've been listening oh, this oh, whole time. Oh,
1: oh,
0: oh, this is the point. Okay, I good, Remember, good. Okay.
1: So I said, so, so I, I, I finished Christmas Pops two years after um, my kids were born again it's always after christmas pops because it's like four, you know it's like three shows a day for mm-hmm. like three weeks um and it's both mind numbing and physically uh uh very fatiguing um I said, to the mirror was like i can't you know I was about 20 pounds heavier than i am now i'm not in good shape and so then I, I starting then i got like in really good physical shape like like i working out and exercising, yoga, like all this stuff became sort of like a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when I really hit the wall with my trumpet playing a few years later, I was in the best physical shape I've been in my life, but it was right around 40. And I, I sort of learned from a lot of my colleagues that a lot of them went through the same thing. It's like, sometimes the physiology changes, like, who knows, you know, who, who knows what happened?
0: Well, Uh, It's interesting you say that, and and not to shift too much to me, but um, you you could see this, actually, if you go and watch my interview with Rolfs on the YouTube Mm -hmm. channel, you'll see what I looked like when I interviewed him. Uh, 170 pounds heavier.
1: How long ago was that?
0: Uh, That was the end of July, so seven months, and we we can talk about this. I I can't edit this. I can after the fact, but bariatric surgery… But I'm okay. I'm I'm five pounds away from being exactly half what I was oh my god the middle of last year. So but, that must feel amazing. Congratulations. Yes, thank you very much. But my chops went to mm. crap. Mm. And so right. uh actually Wayne and Bobby Shu uh and Pickett, I mean I've I've reached out to some great people who were extremely helpful. But yeah, the whole physiology thing changes, you know, age. Uh, The way you, even your perception, right, can change everything. Because you even talked about not having to prep auditions the same once you had played the repertoire, right? You know, your perception changes. So many things can change, um, but all valuable experiences. You know, I'll bring it back to that. You know, if if I hadn't gone through what I'm going through right now, I think this is going to make me a better teacher in the long run. Because I'm going to have some other student come in, and I'll be like, I don't know. I can be, oh, let me tell you. Here's what you should expect, yep. and here's how you're going to yep. get through it. Yeah. So um, yeah. we'll we take a little bit of a left turn. Uh, I want to come back to your comment earlier about uh, how Mozart second trumpet uh, is destructive to your chops, because I found that you know, a really interesting comment. But I want to talk about uh, studying with Mark Gould. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and this is not a plug for his book, uh, even though I'm going to have Mark on next month, and we'll talk about it. Uh-huh but uh, even reading just the first few pages out of this, what he said is exactly what you said a few minutes ago, is he was teaching you how to do things yourself, how to teach yourself. Yeah. But w- what does that look like with him?
1: Um, I-, I can't speak to before I was at Juilliard, because um, I know there's I mean, he is he likes to push people's buttons, um, but he knew uh, he could see that that was not going to be good for me. Um, he was I mean, you know, fast forward a few years later, when I was denied tenure in Chicago, he was the first person. He never calls anybody back. He called me back like 30 seconds later, mm-hmm. like it was, and he was, and he was like there for me, like in a way that. Uh, at the time was so, so crucial, it was so amazing. Um, but no, I mean, I think like, you know, there was a student uh, there at the same time as me, um, really great trumpet player, close friend of mine. He was going through like a terrible breakup with his girlfriend. And so like, you know, like he and Mark could smoke weed during his lessons. Cause like, he
0: just was like, that was what he needed, you know, you know. Is he taking students right now? I'm just curious. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> I, i'm yeah i'm kidding
1: yeah yeah no i mean and he knew he knew that what i needed like like i mean it's funny i remember somebody somebody very incorrectly saying if you have problems then you should not go study with mark gould he's all about music blah 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 mm-hmm. i was like oh, okay great um somebody who is a very good trumpet player and had studied at juilliard um and uh, they just were wrong because because mark you know i said to i went to him and i said look i've got this low set a middle set and a high set and i can't bridge them i'm 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 as flexible as a cinder block i need you know so i just worked on that with him and i you know i also was such a perfectionist and so locked into trying to play something just so exactly instead of just like feeling it you know he had me walking down the street in new york singing leonard 3 Dun, 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 you know, like, just like belting it out. And of course, nobody's looking at me because it was New York and right? Miami. That was, people just expect the odd. Um, but yeah, it was huge. It was, uh, he was exactly what I needed. I mean, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even apply to other schools. I was
0: the only school I applied to. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's, let's skip back a little bit. Uh, Chicago, can we talk about Chicago?
1: Sure, it's a city in Illinois.
0: Uh, should we leave it there? No, it's good. No, you okay. can ask me whatever you want. Uh, so, was there, are the, many, there are many nice people that I like in Chicago. <laughs> huh. uh, the audition that you took, was that the one that uh, uh, Taka followed you? Is that right? Right. right. Okay. So when
1: okay. I... Uh, I was denied tenure in December of 2001. And um, in... February of 2002, I got this job in Muffin. Then Taga won the audition the next time they auditioned.
0: Did you enjoy your time in Chicago? Uh, Were you you allowed to enjoy your time in Chicago?
1: No, no. I mean, it was uh, was unpleasant. Um, It was unpleasant. I mean, it was really cool to work with Bud Herseth. I worked with Bud for one year, his last year. Um, (laughs) He He was a character uh, in the extreme. Uh, He was very nice to me, Um, um, and um, that was great. And then Craig Morris came in um, the my during my second year. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, it was a big transitional time, Um, and you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't do well with, there was a lot of negativity coming my way. Um, and I I did not flourish in that environment. It did not do, it did not, um, I just was too sensitive for it. So, Well,
0: and, and you know, I think, you know, people are, will understand what we're talking about. And I, I'm, we can leave all that right there. You know, I, I don't wanna drag anybody into it. It's just. Yeah, no,
1: I, don't, I, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't disparage anybody. I mean, it's just people have different ways of, uh, different ways of communicating and, you know, I always think people do better if you communicate in a po- positive way and, you know, you know, how can I help you in this situation instead of, you know, being kind of heavy handed. And, you know, some of my closest, I mean, I, I'm still very close friends with the, the first guy I met um, the very first day at Ravinia, a cellist named Brant Taylor, one of my closest friends, lots of friends in Chicago. Um, I'm so glad I don't play in that brass section. Um, I think it's really different now than when I was there. Um, and it would have been fun to play with Chris Martin, but uh, I love where I work now. I love, I love the brass players I play with. I love playing with Tom. I love my trumpet section. It's, you know, I'm I'm so lucky.
0: It's interesting too to to look at. I mean, it's like Tom Rolfs and then three pups, right? I mean, just look at the age difference, yeah. right? And, and and I don't know well, who's who's the youngest in that group. If it's if it's Tom Siders no, or yeah, so
1: the other the the kids in the group are 10
0: years younger than me. So I, I'm 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 in the middle. Well, you, you still look like a kid. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I gathered from Tom, of course, and and from you is that the vibe there is is really cool, really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we respect each other and treat each other like adults.
1: Um, you know, and we care about each other. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when Mike, uh, when Mike Martin uh, and his wife uh, had their their daughter Cassie, who's a beautiful. I think six or seven year old girl now 15 six or seven six i think mm. she came really early like really early like she arrived early and um uh you know i remember tom just kind of um taking mike aside and going you know look i know you want to go on this tour but i i think even though the due date is just like you need to be you know and and it was just so great like just you know was, you know it was great to see It's just a good, it's a good, it's a good situation. You're nice
0: people, so. Uh, Tell me a little bit about this uh, virtual seminar.
1: Yeah, so like last spring, when everything was sort of blowing up, um, so almost exactly a year ago, uh, I called Dave Krause, who's a friend of mine.
0: Dave is principal trumpet in the Metropolitan Opera. And you should get him on for one of these things. He's very. funny. Uh, I, I interviewed him. He was he was terrific. He was another person yeah. who I would never guess would have the kind of humor. Uh, oh, but it, 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 was okay. <laughs> it was terrific. Yeah. No, he's he's brutal. Um. Uh. Yeah. So I
1: called him and I said, "Hey, you know, because we teach together at BUTI, and our wives teach together at, at Berkshire Summer Music, uh, which is a, a a a summer music festival that his wife." he and his wife started his wife is a fantastic violinist and teacher so they started this thing and I said hey uh, beauty is not gonna happen this summer. there's no way we, we got to make sure that there's something for the kids to do so and there was nobody was doing you know nobody wanted to do online lessons nobody wanted to do so what I learned pretty quickly was that with a with a, a decent microphone and, you know, I'm just using a, uh, an Apogee mic here. Right. I don't even have a, a preamp or a mixer or whatever. Like I just plug it into my MacBook Pro and I did some tests and kind of figured out, you know what, that sounds like me in this room, not in a concert hall. But like when I really think about like what was important to me learning as a student in school, yes, going to hear Mike Sachs play in the Cleveland Orchestra is huge. Even more important, sitting right next to him, listening to him play, this kind of a space—that's the real sound. Like that's the truth, right? Because mm-hmm. what we do on stage is not what you hear in the hall. Right. It's much more compact. So that was kind of where it started, and and um, we put together a thing. It was a two-week uh, festival. Uh, we did one week of high school, one week of um, college, and I, I mean I. At the same time, there were other people doing um, that started, you know, Tom Hooton's doing a lot now, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, some people really embrace it. And some people, I think it's really disconcerting, um, the, just the screen and whatever. Like, I, I get it. Like, you know, it's not for everybody, um, but what I, I'm, in, I'm doing a seminar right now with six students um, who would not be able to study with anybody right now if it wasn't for this this interface um and 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 all the things like i can make a recording in this room store it on my computer and share it with them you know either so i can hey check this out you know let's work on this for next week Mm -hmm. it's just using the technology and saving them money let's talk about saving students money right because it's not like it's not like i'm giving i'm not giving away these seminars it costs money right right but like you know, the seminar that my students are in right now, they get 12 lessons, 12 studio classes, uh, uh, almost the same number of trumpet chats where we're kind of like this, where I like last week I had Taga Larson in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I do a thing called practice window coaching where they record five minutes of their practice and together we watch it and go through it. Be Like, oh, well, this thing you're doing here, you know, that's great. Do more of that this other thing, this doesn't make as much sense, it's not so efficient, you know, try this instead. Um, And I thought it would work, and it's really working, so it's really cool. But it's like a semester in conservatory minus the ensembles. Now, obviously, ensembles are a big deal. But, like, for me, like, when I went to Juilliard, I got nothing from Juilliard. I got Mark Gould because that was the only way I could get Mark Gould was if I went to Juilliard, and I paid the equivalent at Juilliard of, like, What if I paid sixty grand right now? What are you going to get a master's degree for sixty thousand dollars a year? It's crazy. Uh,
0: Okay, so we talked about that briefly right before we went live. Uh, Do you want to expand a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like what
1: it's like you were saying. Like, you know, students are expected to pay um, big money for degrees as as a you know as a musician. Well. You know, if I look at, like, you know, the Matt Monkeys, uh, Mike Martins, uh, Ethan Bensdorfs, Tom Siders, myself, all these people that won jobs right either at the end of their undergrad or at the very beginning of their gr- graduates, it's like, well, okay, that's one thing, but the reality is it's not like that for everybody, right? So, and then what I see is, like, I see students who apply to NEC who are really good players who might be slightly down in the pecking order and then they get no money. Right. So then they have this choice of like it shouldn't the choice shouldn't be, you know, either go to Rice or Curtis or you know Juilliard is also fond of giving full rides now, not when I was was in school, but of course not. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be that or pay fifty K or even twenty five K for God's sake. Like You know, like I've got this student right now who's who's a great student. He took the year off after after studying at Montclair State University. You know, he took the year off and he's he's waiting tables and taking losses and he's getting better.
0: Okay, so uh, this is going to be to your point there. I've got a couple of students who love to do drum corps and, and I've got a drum corps background. But back in the day where it didn't cost, you know, five grand for the summer. Oh, it does. So, okay. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's expensive, hugely expensive. But, you know, uh, uh, compare that to paying for grad school. If you're going to go per, for, for performance, don't you think it'd be better just to take that money and study independently with as many people? I mean, it, you're not going to have the paper, the diploma, but aren't you going to have a better experience?
1: It really depends on what you need, right? So, I mean, need, want. I mean, look. I wouldn't have done well in the job if I hadn't gone to Cleveland and played with really good people in school and like learned how to play well in an ensemble. And mm-hmm. I think if that's what you're gonna do, you do have to at some point learn that, right? So like one of the things I'm trying to develop is a tool where like I play through like Heldenleben with a click, right? So I do the I do the second part because they come in first. We come in first, which I now I realize is like much easier than doing that. <laughs> um, to play the, the, you know, and then I send them the other two parts and it's all synced and then they just plug themselves in the middle. So there are ways to use a technology to, to start to develop that a little bit. But I mean, at some point you got to get ensemble experience, right, if you want to play in an ensemble. But I don't think that means, I don't think that means you have to, you know, spend an arm and a leg. I mean...
0: It's too bad you can't really pick and choose, right, and say, okay, I'm just going to take private lessons and play in the school orchestra. (laughs) You know, they're going to say, no, you know, we'd reserve that for full-time students. I mean, and I I get that, you know. Well,
1: but you know what? I mean, demand is going to drive it. So, like, I'm so curious to see what happens after this year when students have taken time off. And what I'm seeing with the students that are taking time off is they're getting a lot better, you know. And they're not playing in ensembles, so mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you talked about like um, what people have to play in auditions, and whether you even have ever play those things. I mean, violinists learn to play. Pop- there was just an article in the Rolling Stone yesterday about about this very thing. What are people learning? Well, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to cover as many bases as I can for classical trumpet, which is you know, it's not a broad spectrum. Right, uh, but mainly I just want students to get better and to learn how to teach themselves because that then it's just going to give them more options down the road.
0: Do you find yourself teaching in the style of Mark Gould or 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 Ben's style?
1: Been, I have to admit. Well, no, I mean, I I had a lot of great teachers. I mean, I think um, certainly the way I learned from him was incredibly impactful. Um, but I studied with Mike Sachs for four years. Uh, Roger Voisin was a huge influence for me. Um, and I only studied with him. I studied with him for two summers at Tangled. And then my first summer after I got tenure here, I, I forced him to, um, every, every week I would come over one, I would bring a bottle of wine and lunch. And he would eat the food and drink the wine. And I would play Charlie and Biche for him. So I, it felt like I kind of learned how to play that stuff from, right. Right. You know, Right. from the horse's mouth um, Chris Gecker is huge oh. so like and, and, and you know like I'm like I talked to Chris uh, two years ago I did a class in Maryland and he said something about this guy Rich Willie his his, his focal point book mm-hmm. uh, I, you know like everything that Chris talks to me about I just I bought whatever he said you know, he was talking about mm-hmm. and I got it and I looked at it and was like yeah this isn't gonna work for me I tried it. You know, you know, the idea, you know, you know but the book, it's like just yeah. basically like wherever, wherever you start in the day is like where you tend to be focused with your chops. Well, I play second trumpet for 21 years, 23 years now. I'm focused low and I've always wanted to have the option to, you know, play Mahler 6, um, the second trumpet part and get up to the high C sharp at the beginning of the last movement and not feel like it was like just death um, and. <laughs> You know, I could always play it, but it never felt all that easy. And so, you know, actually just a month and a half ago, I just, I went back to the book and I was like, oh, I'm going to try this again. And I think that's a lot of it is you just you just keep, you just, things change. So like now, you know, my focal point is higher. And interestingly enough, like a lot of the stuff I'm practicing and I'm just working on just rep and just like getting better and applying all the stuff that I've learned in the last five years, I'm having a really good time. know, it's like, just playing all the time.
0: So I I don't want to forget asking about uh, Mozart's second trumpet.
1: Yes. Uh, Part of the reason why it was awful for my playing was that when I played soft, I didn't use my motor. I would just go, like, you know, I took in like this much air and, you know, I remember like, I remember when I was in the middle of, as I call it, my wandering in the desert phase five (laughs) or six years ago. And uh, I went to see Gould it was In New York City, we were playing at Carnegie or something. I went to see Gould, and I was like, Man, why didn't you tell me about, like, you know, <sighs> he's like, Yeah, I was like, But you never told me that. It's like, w-, you know, and, and uh, you know, same thing like playing a soft note, I'd just be like, like, just trying to squeeze it out, and, and then realizing, Oh, well, there has to be air pressure behind that note, too. It's just a smaller ribbon of air, you know. Anyway,
0: so it's, it's so. not the difficulty of Mozart itself. It was just you know, the, the situation it put you in. Um, and well, I, you know,
1: I, I mean, funny enough, Chris Gecker was playing uh, first trumpet on that one. That oh. but, <laughs> but no, I, I think, you know, I think it's still not great for your chops because it's just like low and soft all the time. Unless you're playing loud and high when you practice at home. It's just, it's yeah. just it, there's no there's no balance to it. Uh,
0: what I've learned over the years is playing the big stuff is great. Beethoven is some of my favorite to play and some some of my students are like what it's just the same thing over and over again I said yeah but you know there's a great challenge and go ahead
1: sorry there's a great challenge go ahead
0: oh no and and playing you know and being so consistent and shaping it they're not exactly the same you know it depends on what the strings are doing and you know sometimes you're a glorified timpani sometimes Mm -hmm. you're the leading voice right it's Mm -hmm. it's you gotta know what's going on. There's a huge challenge there.
1: I will say that when I have to play a run or when I'm lucky enough to play a run of Beethoven five, my face always feels like garbage afterwards because there's so many places where second trumpet is lower than principal trombone. <laughs> and Toby Toby off our principal trombone is fantastic. But you know, I'm going da da and he's like bah, bah, dah, bah. he's like he's like an octave higher. So Doing that kind of playing for a week, it's just, again there's no balance because um, mm-hmm. it's kind of one flavor. But um, playing first on Beethoven symphonies is great.
0: But yeah, yeah. Uh, is there a repertoire out there you you haven't done yet you'd like to get your get your chops on too? Uh,
1: for the orchestra, I wish
0: we'd do more
1: Thomas Otis. I wish we'd do uh, John Corgliano. Um I wish we did more new music yeah is the
0: bso um, geared for that
1: that's very traditional very traditional um uh, and i mean it, it's tricky because you know your audience base really wants they really want the war horses um but you know you can you can put i mean what was like we did um Goodbye to Lena, I love her music. We did the Goodbye to Lena Violin Concerto, which is such a powerful piece of music. Mm-hmm. We did it once. You know, it's like, why don't we do this on a tour? Instead, Instead, we, we we take Beethoven Violin Concerto on a tour. Like, really? We need another performance in the Beethoven Violin Concerto. I,
0: I really wonder if this pandemic is gonna change the, uh, the uh, what's the word, the demographics right? I mean, you know, is that older generation going to be comfortable coming back into the concert hall? I mean, you're going to have to every orchestra is going to have to reach out to uh, if they haven't already a very different looking
1: Well, group. yeah, because then there's all this stuff that happened around uh, re- race and um, you know uh, you know, gender equality and I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that has happened in the last year and um, you know we we started. We have a. We're gonna have a diversity fellowships. You know, with the BSO kind of. You know, I think modeled somewhat off of Detroit Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like, yeah, it's a it's a you know
0: it's an interesting time. Uh, Judith Saxton. do you know Judith? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of course. Just I interviewed her just following uh, George Floyd's murder, and she was very moved, another Alexander person, before I forget, of course, um, mm. but uh, had written a piece based on on those events. Mm. I mean, and of course, out of tragedy is born great art, right, I mean, there's gonna be so much, I think, that's gonna come, I, I, I hesitate to say the word good, but I think a lot of very powerful stuff is gonna come out of all this Yeah, that's gonna reflect and and maybe move us forward but yeah uh uh, so let's see i think we cover everything we didn't throw anybody under the bus yeah i don't think which i'm i'm just gonna (laughs) yeah um i tell you what i i love getting to talk to uh to people like you you know so willing to share and uh i'm thinking I need to study with you. I'm going to have to to connect with you and, and take some online lessons and see if I can't uh-huh. up my game as well, right? Wow. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, sorry, that was the best I could come up with a, with a name. You know, are you
0: yeah. kidding me? It's like WTF, yeah. right? I mean, you you yeah. got to You got to That's going to stick up your game. Yeah. Or is it up your game or up your playing?
1: Up your game. Up yeah. your game.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you could be. You could. You too could be one of the uh, the tens of people that go to my website um you know yeah
0: yeah well man this has been a treat uh get get to know you a little bit and uh
1: it's, if nice, you, it's nice to meet you and chat with you as well
0: thank you uh, i'm gonna wrap up so don't disappear uh, i'll okay. uh i'll sign off here and then uh, we'll close off offline here uh okay. so uh everybody thank you for joining in tonight I appreciate having Ben Wright, second trumpet of the uh, Boston Symphony Orchestra here with us. And uh, just a reminder that uh, the next Live With interview is March 23rd with the ROM Trio. And then March 28th is uh, Matilda Lloyd. So check out the website for that. And of course, again, thanks to Chop Saver for their generous sponsorship of this Live With series. And uh, let me do a very quick spiel, of course. Chop Saver, uh, The Natural. Organic herbal lip care product created by professional trumpet player Dan Gosling. And if you haven't uh used Chopsaber yet, here's your opportunity to go to the website chopsaber.com, use the code HFL, and you can get 20% off of your order. So again, uh, chopsaber.com, 20% off with HFL here from Legends. So again, Ben, thanks for joining us tonight. Everybody else, thank you, and hopefully uh, see Hey, I'm, I'm going to shout out to a couple of friends of mine here. Sean Jones, uh, another trumpet player friend of mine, long time. We went to college together, uh, says good interview. Rosemary Klein, a local trumpet player here in Indy, uh, terrific supporter of music uh, and, and becoming a good friend. I keep meeting her at all these trumpet conferences, so uh, it's nice to have them aboard. So, again, everybody, thank you, and I'll see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.